In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Thank God today we have um, a guest, Deacon Minap to say it, who will be talking to us about the different names of Christ in the scripture. Thank you so much, Abuna, for this wonderful opportunity. And thank you all for being uh, uh, here today and all being in communion in the body and blood of Christ. It was a great attend. And uh, today, as I mentioned, our talk will be on the names of Christ in Scripture. So there's two parts to it. I'll begin with an intro uh, in, in this meeting, and then we will... Uh, also have the same intro plus uh, other things in the servants meeting. So the name of God. There are so many different names you will find in scripture that describe God. God cannot be described in one name, right? There's the multi-dimensional aspect of God's existence, which is expressed or articulated in so many different ways or names. To find the intro to this topic, let's read together Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Now, the epistle to the Hebrews is one of those key essential uh, epistles to read when we talk about the name of God, the name spoken of God. Okay? So, according to the translation here, according to the Greek translation, if we do somewhat of a literal translation from the Greek text, we will read as such. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. Now, pay attention to things in bold and colored. It says, in many and various ways. Now, was God talking in one way? or in many ways, or in various ways. In Greek, it's polymeros, polytropos. Poly, poly is many, right? Meros means ways, and tropos means different types. In many forms and in various ways, God spoke. I cannot limit God to one form of manifestation. I can't limit God to one name or one mode of communication. That wouldn't be doing favor to God because God is inexpressible, ineffable, immeasurable, etc. Like we pray in the Gregorian liturgy. It says here, in many and in various ways. So was God speaking through the burning bush? Yes. Was God speaking through the tree? Yes. Was God speaking through nature, through the water, through the sun, through the moon? Was God speaking and communicating with the people through all these different forms of the creation? Of course he was. But can I limit God to only one form? Can I say that this sun is God, the entire Pleroma, the entire mode or manifestation of God is the sun. Can I say that? No, but that's one of the ways. You know, as St. Paul says in the epistle to the Romans, God is made manifest through the powers, the various powers expressed in the creation. 
This entire creation is a manifestation of God's activity and God made manifest, God became becoming flesh. It says here, in many and various ways. That's why God himself or Jesus Christ, the son of the living God says, I am the tree, I am the life, I am the bread, I am the way, I am the life, I am, I am, which is the meaning of Yahweh, the name of God in the Old Testament. By the way, we're going here over the activity or the spoken, uh, uh, you know, mode of communication that we uh, 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 hear in Scripture about God. But all this identifies God. All this can uh, be used to understand the identity of God and hence understand the name of God. And we will see that God doesn't only have one name. God has various names but they all culminate in one big name which we will see afterwards in many and various ways god spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets so how is god making himself manifest by speaking speech now why speech why couldn't draw just you know paint uh, 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 why couldn't god uh, paint uh, or, or I don't know, carve on stone like he did with Moses and the with the tablets. Or, yeah, I mean, God did so many different things. But why is, uh, why is the author of this epistle saying God spoke? Why is he only, you know, taking all these activities and putting them all in this one verb called speech? God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. Well. Who is the spoken word of God? The Logos, right? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the speech of God. Is the speech of God made manifest in all the creation. The speech, this name of Christ is the name uttered by God the Father to us. We receive this name and we ourselves become the name by our unity with Christ. It's magnificent. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. He was speaking to the prophets in many and various ways. The speech is not only limited to, uh, uh, you know, phonetics that are heard or sound waves, light waves in different amplitudes, different intensities, different frequencies. God is made manifest throughout the entire creation. God is united with this entire, with this entire existence. And then he continues, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in or by his son. So, God was speaking back in the time, and he is still speaking in these last days. It's the same speech. And that's why Paul himself, or the author of the epistle to the Hebrews, says later on, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because Jesus Christ is the speech. He is the spoken word of God. He doesn't change. He's been always Christ Jesus, yesterday, today, and forever. Now, can you, imagine you were engendered, you were enfleshed in Christ Jesus. 
in the many and various ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets and in these last days speaking to us in his son. Why? Why do we have this uh, privilege of being also the word of God? Because we, simply put, we are united through the Eucharist with the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. If he says, I am the light, guess what? You are also the light. If he says, I am the water, you also become water to the world. If he's the salt, you're also the salt. If he's the way, you also become the way. If, you know, read the book of Song of Songs. Whatever applies to the bridegroom applies to the bride. It's this matrimony. It's the synergy between both beings, us and Christ. He's the speech, and we also become a speech to the world around us. You know, St. Ignatius of Antioch has a real profound saying. He says, the word comes out of silence. Now think about it. I mean, you know, speaking of physics or, or you know, f physical laws, and, and, you know, and, and, and the sciences and whatnot, I mean, you know, Yes, light, you know, the, the visible light that you see emerges from black, inert matter, right? Um, sound waves, I'm not really into the, the physics aspects of this, could potentially emerge from, again, inert bodies. But more importantly, what is he trying to refer to as silence? When he says the word emerges from the silence. What silence is he talking about? He's referring to God the Father, right? Because no one has seen God the Father. The only begotten Son has made God the Father visible, manifest to us. He becomes the speech of God. He emerges out of the silence so that he can unite himself with us we also become what is his. And that's what we say in the Theotokia. He gave us what is his. He took what is ours and he gave us what is his. The, same, the speech long ago is the same speech that he spoke to us in these last days. Whom he appointed. Okay, so he, now he talks about the son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom also he made the ages. Can you imagine? It says here, he is the heir of all things. He's the one who inherits all things. Okay? And through him, everything was made. Do you understand what the concept of through means? Through is this, you know, you know uh, just, just imagine a piece of dough. If you protrude the dough, if you fashion the dough into so many different forms or pieces or whatever it is, the essence of it is still the dough. Can you imagine God the Father fashioned the creation from his son, through his son? And that's why the word is imprinted on every part of the creation. Why does St. Paul say the creation is groaning in travail? Who should be groaning, the creation or the human? Well, you can't separate creation from human because human is the culmination of the creation, right? 
I always say this in my talks. If you go back to the original Hebrew of Genesis, you will see that Adam was formed from the earth. The earth is Adama in Hebrew. In other words, I cannot distinguish Adam from Adama. They're both dust. I'm shaping the living being from dust, but in essence, he's still dust. And that's why anything I do on this planet doesn't only affect me as a person, it affects everything around me. Plants, trees, animals, and the rest of humanity. We're all connected together and we all express that one name of the sun through which we were formed. Are we all following? Yeah? Okay. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the ages. Then let's, let's <laughs> go on to verse 3. He, the Son, reflects the glory of God. And then if we you know, do a, somewhat of a literal translation to the Greek, karikater means and bears the very stamp of his nature. Can you imagine God the Father as this big invisible image? I can't see the image. But God the Father stamped his image on the Son through whom he created the entire creation. We all carry parts of that image instilled within us. Upholding the universe, the sun is that nucleus upon which the entire universe rotates, revolves. Upholding the universe by his word of power. Again, word, speech. In many and various ways God spoke and now he is speaking to us by his son. He is continuously, in verse 2, when it says, but in these last days, I have a question for you. When are the last days? Is come. Do we know? We don't know? Okay, can we measure those last days? Remember, he's not talking about the second coming of Christ that we're awaiting. He's saying, and in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son. So he must be referring to the incarnation, right? But the incarnation is a continuous process as we are continuously being formed to be the flesh of God, the flesh of his only begotten Son. So the incarnation, the act of incarnating is continuous, it's a continuous process. Now, why do we have to dig into every single word like this? And how do we, why do we have to challenge our minds like this? One, the text isn't meant to be simple. You know, sometimes we just, you know, use the fundamentalist approach in reading scripture. It's nice and, 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 and adorable. It's nice and cute. You pack it in your backpack and you, you know, you take it anywhere. Well, that's great, but, you know, if you use that approach, then Scripture becomes a volatile element within you. You know, it sparks you up. It really, you know, triggers some great feelings within you for a few minutes, but then it evaporates after a while. But if you ponder upon the words of Scripture, look into the context, look in the, into the etymology of the words, how these words come into existence and how they fashion Scripture, 
or how they fashioned the body of Christ in Scripture, then you could, you could realize your significance as a constituent of the body of Christ. You're a member of the body of Christ. You yourself become Scripture. You yourself become the spoken word of God. Whoever sees you doesn't see Michael or Peter or Mina sees Jesus Christ. It's to that extent. Jesus Christ, the spoken word of God, is also united with us, and therefore we also become the speech of God. We were eternal in God, and we continue to be in God. Okay. With this introduction, I have 15 minutes left. Now we can talk about the culmination of the names of Christ. So we talked about how Christ is spoken of or is identified as, you know, the fire, the bread, the way, the truth, the life. But at the end of the day, he is the one Christ. Now what does Christ mean? Christ means the Messiah. You know, Mashiach or or the 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 one anointed. The definition of the Messiah is the anointed. Now, in the Jewish context, the Messiah is the one who reigns over God's kingdom. He is the heir. How can you, I mean, uh, nowadays, you know, uh, coming coming from a Canadian background, I, to a very uh, 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 large extent, you know, we all pertain to the Commonwealth as Canadians, okay? So nowadays, we are, uh, uh, um, you know, living the, 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 the story of the passing away of Queen Elizabeth, and nowadays it's King Charles III, right? Um, who should be enthroned very soon. Can I be the heir to the British monarchy? Can I be the heir of that throne after Queen Elizabeth? Can any one of us be the heir? No. The only person who is the heir is the one who has the same blood as the queen, right? He is the one who holds the proprietary right to be called sovereign king or queen because he carries that blood. He carries that stamp. Talked about, right? The anointed one, the Messiah, carries within him the blood, according to uh, the, the language of, of St. Ignatius of Antioch in his epistle to the Ephesians. The anointed one carries within him the blood of God. So therefore, he's called the Son of God. He has the right to be the heir of God. Do you also have the right to be heirs of God? Yes. What did we just partake? We, we partook of the blood of Christ, the Son of God. Can you imagine the blood of God is running currently in your veins? Can you imagine that the flesh and blood that you just consumed became part of your physical organs? You are the heir of God. 
When I say you're united with the Son, you carry the name of the Son anointed Messiah. It's not, I'm not, we're not using metaphors here. This is real. <laughs> this is a real mystery that we live every day. The blood of God runs within you, and that's why you are yourself called heirs to the throne. Really beautiful. So the Messiah is the anointed that reigns over God's kingdom, is the king that rules the Jewish people during the Messianic age, and he's also, he was also known to be a great political leader that has descended from King David, the Messiah, Ben David. Now, that Messiah in the Jewish context was not necessarily associated with God or a pre-existent divine son of God. But the fact that Christ came and called and was appointed or was called the Messiah and called himself the son of God was a turning point in the Jewish history. It was a turning point that you are no longer under the dominion of of a sovereign ruler called God, you are the Son of God. So there was this uh, Jewish uh, medieval scholar, his name is Moses bin Maimon in, uh, in the medieval era. He says the following in his Mishnah of the Torah. He says, And if a king shall arise from among the house of David, studying Torah and occupied with commandments like his father David, according to the written and oral Torah, and he will impel all of Israel to follow it and to strengthen breaches in its observance, and will fight God's wars, this one is to be treated as the anointed one. If he succeeded and built the holy temple in its proper place and gathered the dispersed one of Israel together, this indeed is the anointed one for certain. And he will mend the entire world to worship the Lord together, as it is stated, for then I shall turn for the nations a clear tongue, so that they will all proclaim the name of the Lord and to worship him with a united resolve. So they took him as a very political, geographical leader who will solve their geopolitical issues. Okay? It says here, if he succeeds in building the holy temple, he shall surely be called the anointed one. What did Christ say about the temple? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it for you. Right? Which temple was he talking about? The temple of? His body, right? Who's his body? Us. Us. You know, St. Paul says it clearly. He's the head of the body, and we are the members of this body. That temple in Jerusalem was destroyed 20 centuries ago in 70 AD. But the temple of Jerusalem is no longer restricted to a demographic or a geographical region. The temple of Jerusalem is everywhere in us. If he's called the Messiah, the anointed one, he also raises the anointed temple after three days. We also take that title known as the Messiah. That's why we're called Christians. Christians are 
the followers of Christ, we also are. Now, the Messiah also had the label of king, priest, prophet, the altar in the temple, the vessels, the unleavened bread, and even a non-Jewish king. Can you imagine? You have all these titles in you as the heir of the Son of God. Were we kings in Scripture? Yes. Were we called priests? Yes. Were we called to prophesy? Yes, in Joel. Were, were we called the altar in the temple? Yes. The vessels? Yes. St. Paul says, can I take the organs, the vessels of Christ, and fornicate with them? No. Those are not yours. Those are anointed. You are a Messiah. And when I say a Messiah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you're like, you know, the macro Messiah, Jesus Christ. But you're one of, you're a micro. You're a micro Messiah that composes, that is part of the bigger one. Now, how does the New Testament scripture identify Christ? In John's prologue, which, which resonates with Genesis 1, you know how in, 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 in the Gospel of John he says, in the beginning was the Word, right? That also resonates. That has a parallel in Scripture, and that is Genesis 1. Genesis 1 also says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So John obviously was playing on the same narrative. John, John's prologue resonates with Genesis 1, and Proverbs 8.22, the Lord created me the beginning of his ways. Colossians 1.15 views God's cosmic supremacy in light of his soteriological supremacy. In other words, speaking away from the fancy terms, how do I know that Christ is truly Christ? Not by the title, but by his actions, which is what we talked about in the sermon today. The prototokos... Prototokos in Greek means the firstborn. The firstborn begotten in view of the creation as the prototype of all which will be created through him, especially humanity. He's that big icon. You know, think of a mosaic. He's that big prototype, the mosaic prototype. You look at him, all you see is Jesus Christ. But who are the small bits? Who are the small mosaics that comprise this big image. It's you. The prototype creates from his own so that you may belong to him. It's this going back and forth in, you know, absolute relative terms. You know, he, we're created and he's the creator, but he unites us with him so that we're one with him. And he takes what is ours so that we may become what is his. And, and it goes back and forth. It just resonates. The synergy at the end of the day creates or forms the one anointed Messiah. At the end of the day, God is speaking in many and in various ways. God is not only limited to one culture or one ethnicity or one uh, mode of manifestation. We are all parts. You know, Gregory of Nazianzus has the saying that is, to some extent, you know, if read out of context, extremely controversial. 
But he says, we are parts of God condescending on earth. Now, this needs to be read, you know, with, with proper uh, 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 understanding of the context. When, when, he, when, when he says, we are the parts of God, he's referring to the body of Christ. We are all members in the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ is comprised of all of us. Whatever the ethnicity, whatever the geographical difference may be, whatever the demographic may be, whatever it is. Now, is it only a visible manifestation? No. The speech is not limited only to sound waves. It's everything. And when you, we become united together to form the one name, the one anointed Christ, we become united with everything in the creation. That's the power of being united together in the name of Christ. It is a huge deal, so to say, to be the heir of God. To have God's blood running in your veins is, you know, should not be taken for granted. It is a huge mystery. It comes with a price. You know, you, you, you're a daily martyr. I mean, you don't have to go to Libya to get beheaded, to become a martyr. No, just partaking of the blood and, and, and uh, the, the bread and bl blood of Christ, the body and the blood of Christ, entails you becoming a martyr. Living that life of martyria every day so that you could join yourself with that bigger body known as the body of Christ. When you do so, it is no longer you. It is no longer Michael or Peter, but it is Christ who lives in you. Your title now doesn't become, you know, engineer or software developer or whatever it is. You become the anointed as well. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for this day and everything that you offer to us and everything that you give us and for giving us, O oh Lord, the blessing of being a part of you and a part of your body. We thank you, O oh Lord, for every good thing and every way, O oh Lord, that you bless us with yourself. Help us, O oh God, to commit our lives to you so that we would not live in distraction or attachment to the world, but, O oh Lord, sacrifice all these things for the sake of your holy name. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us as day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.